Wow. I, I, I can't believe it. So, um, first off, welcome to Downtown Sports. I'm John Shimoni, the mouth of the South. I'm along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. And and I believe we just got uh, one of our guests coming on as well. So today's show is going to be literally crazy. It's going to be literally um, insane. So let's just first get into what is happening here. This is a downtown sports holiday special. I want to welcome our guests that we have so far. Um, First, the host of the Mighty Sports Express podcast and the former host of the New Yorker Sports Rant. Welcome, Mr. Matt O'Boyle. I would like to... I'd like to welcome an old friend of the show, probably one of the best friends the show has ever had. Uncle Ian Eagle is back in the house. The Birdman <laughs> is here. Birdman, love him. What's up? Good to talk to you guys. Always, always. And ladies and gentlemen, he just retired from WFAN, has been there forever as an update person and probably knows more stories about that place than anybody on earth. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our first time having him here. And I'm sorry I'm just throwing you right in. We had to start the recording at four. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mike McCann is hey, here pleasure. as well. Mike, how are you hey, doing, Mike. sir? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be invited. A pleasure to be among this distinguished company. It's always good. It's a great pleasure to have you. Always. And uh, popping in along the way might be Johnny D'Alessandro, former promotions director of WFAN, and Pete Hoffman, the producer of the Midday Show on WFAN. Patrick Creighton was supposed to come on. He couldn't make it because, you know, as he's coming into New York, somebody, he, he had to go get a uh, tooth surgery. His tooth broke. Uh, I'll ask him about how that all happened later on. But I want to thank all of you guys for coming on. This is the first time we've done anything like this before in our lives with this many guests, with this many people. And uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. So before we go into the nostalgia about WFAN and about, uh, you know, how that place has affected all of our careers, we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But couple of issues in New York sports I want to bring up, and I'm just going to let everybody talk once I, uh, you know, set up the table. Like, consider this the appetizer course, okay, guys? Um, We're going to consider this like the appetizer course. What the heck went wrong with the Jets this week? Clock management that, that, Okay, that that's a uh, beast's opinion. Period. Uh, Period. Really? Yeah. You make a big pass to start that drive, and you let 30 seconds come off the clock. You had a minute 49 to start that drive. And you know what's worse? You had all three of your timeouts. You save about 30 seconds there. You maybe get another first down or two down the field. You get a field goal of maybe about 40 yards instead of 58. You know, maybe you don't have to have Zach Wilson rush a throw that he had to throw up into the air and pray that Elijah Moore catches it. Amazingly ran out with 
almost the clock to one second. And then maybe, you know, you don't have to have a timeout in your pocket and, and, you know, just lose the game like you did. That's on Robert Sala for not using your timeouts right, for not managing the clock right. Care if you've only been a coach in this league for a couple of years. There are certain things, unfortunately, that you don't do in close games, in tight situations when you have to make a play. You don't let time slip away. You can't. No, I completely agree. You can't let time slip away. You can't let uh, things like that, you know, just you can't let things like that go on at the end of a game if you're trying to be a serious playoff contender. And um, I'd love to know what everybody else on the panel thinks about this. Everybody else at the dinner table. I mean, come on. We got we got we got the uh, mac and cheese. We got the uh, candied yams. Everything's all out here ready to go. We got the presents and uh Unfortunately, the Jets' first present to us was a lump of coal. Mm. <laughs> I'm a very picky eater, so I'm not sure I should be the guy that's dealing with the appetizers. But I'll tell you, it doesn't come down to just the 30 seconds the, that the uh, the majority of people have locked in on. They had a defensive breakdown that changed the game. Fourth and inches, they were not aligned correctly. There was a blown assignment to have a 51-yard touchdown against one of the best defenses in the NFL that really changed and shifted the whole dynamic of the game. Robert Sala has taken responsibility. He knows that he did not handle that last stretch correctly. You can't bring your timeouts to the next week. You can't bring it to the playoffs should have called a timeout on the pass to Garrett Wilson, where I think the officials were jostling with the ball and couldn't quite spot it. Was it a nine and a half yard game? Was it a 10 yard gain? Amidst all of that time, very important time was trickling off the clock and it put them into a frantic situation. Obviously when you lose a game, there are a lot of factors that come into play. Uh, officials did not, in my mind, necessarily stay consistent throughout the game as well. There was a Jeff Wilson penalty that absolutely should have been called in the end zone before the end of the first half, resulted in a field goal from Zerline. That might have been a touchdown, a first and goal at the one. That's lost points. There are so many ingredients that go into it. The Jets, look, they're a really tough-minded defensive team. They've got an influx of youth, which has certainly put them much further along in this rebuild but their concerns moving forward will continue to be the quarterback position there's no getting around it zach wilson if they win the game we probably would pluck out some of those passes that worked for him but because they lost the game the general feeling was he didn't do enough and the reality is he didn't do enough i think mike white probably would have carved up that detroit secondary but you have to go with the hand that you're dealt and the jets have been handed a tough hand with injuries at the offensive line at the running back position and enough places including quinn and williams last game for them not to be able to really play their game they're seven and seven they still have a chance this is a really tough matchup against jacksonville a team on the rise and uh, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately for a lot of Jet fans, they might have gotten caught up in the commotion. And this is probably what they are right now, which is a 500 team. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning of the year, everybody honestly thought, yeah, 500, 500. This team was uh, maybe going to make a wild card. Would Zach Wilson take that step forward? And obviously we found out 
The answer was no. Now, I think I've asked about everybody this question, and I'll ask everybody at the panel this question, too. At the beginning of the year, I think uh, I've asked at least a couple of you guys, who do you think would be around next season, Daniel Jones or Zach Wilson? And everybody's answer was, well, of course, Zach Wilson will be there. This will be Daniel Jones last year with the Giants. It still could be Daniel Jones's last year with the Giants. But I think uh, at this point in time, is there ever a chance that Zach Wilson is the starter for the Jets in 2023? Because this campaign has been injury riddled and underwhelming. I think not. I think he, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad at the same time, you know, he was put in that situation, asked if you feel like you let the defense down in the, if the defense, you let them down in the Patriot loss. He said, no, everyone turned on him immediately right there. And then when he, huh? How do you say no to that question? Like, and then you didn't let them down. And then Zach Wilson gets his chance at redemption because Mike White got injured. And you know what, Zach Wilson? Okay. Yeah. He completed about 50% of his passes. First half was great. You know, Zach Wilson was doing some things I didn't see him do for almost the entire year. And you can't blame this loss on Zach Wilson either. He literally gave you the lead. Your defense couldn't hold it. And then he got you back down the lead, somehow threw up a pass. That somehow set up a 58-yard field goal, no matter how you slice it. And yet still, they're chewing up Zach Wilson for it. It's it's weird. Like, Zach, you have both the Wilsons. Each of the Wilsons have had something different to say. You've had Zach just getting all this negativity thrown at him now. Got the Jets to where they were, at least into this game. And then Garrett Wilson, who has been vocal a bit about the, about the reps, including uh, one of them telling to him, this isn't Ohio State, when he felt like he was grabbed. Yeah, what's that about? I don't, you see, I don't that's get that. The, I don't get uh, that. This is an Ohio State. Like, what is that even in reference to? Like, I, 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 first off, I don't get it. Like, is there a specific thing amongst Ohio State games where, oh, every single touch of a jersey is getting a flag thrown at it? I don't even know where Garrett Wilson gets that from. But you know what? It's the holidays. We don't have to stay on bad topics the entire time. I want to talk about a good topic. Hmm. And um, I think a good topic would be the Brooklyn Nets. You see, because we actually are able to, for the first time, have fun in winter sports in New York City. Now, that I've never, at least since we've started this podcast, we've never been able to actually do that. Because usually, yeah, the Nets are involved and the Nets are doing well, but the Knicks are awful, the Knicks are horrible, and the Jets and Giants, their season usually is over by the beginning of November. So... 2022 is a different year, everyone. So we have the Nets, and I think they're what now? 12 and 3 after the return of Kyrie Irving from the suspension from his own stupidity. Um, well, the, the Knicks are, are what a couple games behind. Yeah, it's it's a very close back here. I'll bring it up right here. The, the Knicks have won seven in a row, the Nets have won six in a row. So right there, the Knicks rack currently sit in the sixth spot right now in the Eastern Conference. So just barely trailing the Sixers. So it's good to see. And then that's our number four. Right and then that's number four at this point, right? Up to this point right now. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is really quite a role that both of these teams are on. And I'm I'm going to be very curious when 
when these two teams face off against one another now in games that will really count going into the into Christmas here. This is huge. So uh, in that East. So um Ian, what do you think about this uh NBA season and how it's evolving so far for both teams? Well, from the Nets perspective, it's been a lot less drama, which means a lot less coverage more than anything else, uh, which is the the strange part about the the current dynamic of of sports in our culture. The more drama you have, the more attention you get, uh, the less drama you have, oftentimes you uh, fade a little bit under the radar. I think the Nets are comfortable with that. Just play good basketball, create chemistry, define roles. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, there's been some joy to what they're doing. There had not been that in previous years, let alone earlier this season. And I think Jacques Vaughn has brought a different touch to the head coaching position, allowing players to recognize that it's not on any one individual. He's challenging all of them. There isn't a set rotation, so every guy feels like they have to be ready every night. And that's not necessarily the norm in the NBA, but I think it works for this particular team. They've got a lot of depth. They're exercising that depth, and they're playing a good, clean team style of basketball. And nothing flashy. Again, not not just in your face. The the big key in the NBA, beat the teams you're supposed to beat. If you do that, you can be a 44-45 win team. To take that next step to be a 50-win team, 52-win team, then you have to start winning some of the games you're not expected to win. And the Nets are currently in that current format of trying to figure out where they fit into the grandscape of of the Eastern Conference. So, look, it's great that the Knicks are playing well. It's great for New York basketball, uh, I think, for the NBA to get these two teams going. Eventually, people will start talking about it league-wide for now. I think New York basketball fans are happy to just have their two teams playing at a high level, and then the rest of the country can get the memo eventually. I mean, at this point, the rest of the country should have gotten the memo a long time ago. And and, and I, we went from everybody just automatically handing the Nets the, uh, the title, the NBA Finals, like pretty much every year since they hold this coup to get uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on the same team. But this year, it seems everybody's like, oh, yep, yep, Durant and uh, Irving, they're on the nets. And, uh, oh, who's going to win? Oh, Miami. Or, oh, who's going to win? Oh, Chicago. Or or uh, name the other litany of teams in the Eastern t- Conference that actually do have a lot of talent. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Not you, you well can't necessarily. Yeah, you can't. Awful. Yeah, it's a little it, healthier, yeah. I think, for for the Nets to fly under the radar. There were such huge expectations the past couple of years. Ever since, as you say, Durant and Kyrie came in, and then Harden was brought in. The expectations were were unrealistic, and then we had the the lack of cohesiveness, and then we went through the pandemic with Kyrie's situation last year. This is much healthier. You, I think I and you'll agree there's a, a coaching change helped. Things are calmer. And again, when you dial back the unrealistic expectations and have somebody coaching the team who's 
able to make the personalities um, come together in a healthier way, you're going to have a you're going to have a better product. You're going to have a better result because sports is a results business. And right now we're seeing better results from both the teams that we're talking net. So we certainly see it so far in this NBA season. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Mike. Um, flying below the radar can't do anything but be good for, for this team. You know, the only things that you, you can point to, you know, as a negative is, you know, will Kyrie kind of fall off, you know, the straight and narrow path at some point, as we've seen him do um, from time to time? And will the Nets be able to get any anything productive out of Ben Simmons? Um, Kevin Durant, obviously, you know, still playing at – and at a high elite level, one of the best players in the game, you know, at some point you're going to need, um, you know, other guys in the rotation to carry their, you know, carry their weight as well. Um, the coaching change, I think was a big, a big, a big part of um, getting this team sort of focused, focused positively um, for whatever reason, it just didn't work with Steve Nash. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Kyrie is the key. If, you know, I believe he's in a contract year. Um, it would behoove him if that's the case, uh, to, you know, just focus on basketball, uh, maybe avoid social media to a certain extent and, you know, try to get as much success with the nets. And then, you know, that way you have a lot more leverage when you go into, uh, into the off season as a free agent. To your, well, point, Matt, I, I, to your point, Matt, I do agree with the, uh, with some of the, with the net, they do have some players that are starting to step up a little bit. I have seen it: Claxton, Yuta, Watanabe, Joe Harris. You're seeing other pieces now, kind of beginning to step in into some roles and maybe take a little pressure off of Durant. Maybe take a little pressure off Kyrie here and there. I I ain't sitting there like I know all of the answers to these questions yet. All of these other people are talking about it. <laughs> I have no problem with you guys talking about it. It's great to hear opinions. First of all, it's great to hear Mike's voice because Mike retiring from WFAN is one of the biggest hits the radio station has ever taken. He was always, always among the best people you could ever hear on the radio station. So just to hear Mike discuss sports is is wonderful for me. And the thing about the Nets, it's just great that people are talking about them and it's not in regards to all of the controversies and the drama. The fact that basketball is now a focal point again, Jacques Vaughn is a big reason why. And I think the biggest key is no excuses. Steve Nash will go down as one of the best players that we've ever seen in the NBA. He made the most of his ability, two-time MVP, a guy that uh, really worked hard to be among the best players during his era. As a coach, he was trying to find his way, and often Steve would lean on excuses, which often were not overt but subtle enough to say well we're we're still trying to find chemistry we're dealing with injuries last year we had the here's the reality if you give excuses as a coach players feel a license to give excuses and jock vaughn has gone with a no excuses mentality go win the game in front of you whatever it takes if it means that Cam Thomas plays three minutes or plays 31 minutes, that's the philosophy now. Find a way to win the game. And I think the players have bought into that. And that, 
ironically builds chemistry and cohesiveness when you go through that together and that's what they're doing i mean the one thing i always love to hear about like is when teams are all talking about oh cohesiveness if you're talking about it the team is doing everything they can to stay together and stay cohesive with one another well unless you're the new york jets of this year you if you win you generally have a good sense of uh cohesion i guess is the word but um when you guys mentioned coaching changes and you guys mentioned culture shocks and all this other stuff pertaining to nfl locker rooms now let's keep it in new york uh mr mike mccann first off uh Anchor, former anchor on WFAN. We also have Matt O'Boyle, former host of the New Yorker Sports Rant, and Ian Eagle, the current host of just about everything you listen to and watch in sports. I just really want to point out the difference in the New York Giants when you had guys like Ben McAdoo. And this is in no way saying that Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer are bad football people. Obviously, they are not. If I if I was as good of a football person as Pat Shermer, maybe I'd be working in the NFL. Don't, but, forget, Jason Garrett. Don't forget Jason Garrett. Oh, yeah, that's true. But he didn't head coach the team. <laughs> he didn't head coach the team. But it, it, that guy had a job at Dallas for like 10 years, and nobody knew why. So the thing well, I can is... I tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt probably could. But uh, here's the question I'm going to lay out. Or, or more of a statement, I guess. How does it feel to have an actual coach on the sideline of the Giants for the first time since Tom Coughlin? Now, Mr. Mike McCann, I know you are a Giants fan. I see the Facebook wall commentary every weekend. What's your thoughts on this, good sir? I am tremendously impressed by what Dable is doing. Primarily because it seems to an experienced set of eyes that he's trying to get the most out of what he has to work with. Mm. He's playing to the strengths of each of the 53 players that are on that active roster. Instead of saying, Daniel Jones is my quarterback, we're going to make him play just like Patrick Mahomes or just like Josh Allen. What they've done is design a strategy, design a game plan to take advantage of what Daniel Jones can do best with the players that surround him. Cause he's obviously not playing behind, you know, the 86 giants O-line. Mm. So when you have to play with a limited offensive line, second and third stringers guys off the street in some, in some instances, I think that Dable and Kafka have done a superb job because they're avoiding mistakes. They're not playing not to lose. What they're doing is they're taking the ingredients, the players they have, and trying to maximize everybody's strengths. And that seems to be something that the previous regime or regimes didn't do. And you can see the difference right away. You saw the difference right away in the first game in the opening week against Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And you certainly saw it Sunday night. No long passes, no risky moves, nothing beyond the abilities of Jones, Barkley, and and those that surround them. Nobody was asked to do something they weren't capable of, but everybody was asked to just do what you do best. And that was impressive. 
And that's the thing with the Giants. I, for years, have been saying, just let the guys do what they know how to do. I feel like they've wasted. That the, the, first of all, they wasted the best the last years of Eli Manning's career. Then they turn around and waste the first few years of Daniel Jones's career by trying to make them both fit a mold, and then they lost Odell Beckham because they're trying to make him fit a mold, and everybody had to fit into this perfect little New York Giants uh, piece that had to do exactly what they said they had to do, and they had scheme coaches in here and. My God, it was just a mess for such a long time. Well, it feels like a long time. It really actually has not been that long since Tom Coughlin was the head coach of the New York Giants, although it seems like it's centuries away. We finally have a guy in there that knows what they're doing in terms of saying, you know what? I got this set of guys. I don't know if all of my plays are going to work for this set of guys, but maybe these plays will. And, uh, Maybe I could draw this play to fit this guy a little better, or do this to do that a little better. It seems for the first time we've had that on the Giants sideline. I'm not so sure you still you have that on the Jets sideline. I, I'm just going to say that straight away. All year long, I've been saying the entire reason that the Jets are where they are this year is Robert Sala. There's no way, there's no way you'd have Wilson Mims. Wilson and Elijah Moore, all in the media, talk, 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 talk that whole time without there being a breakdown in terms of coaching and leading men. You don't see that problem for the Giants for the first time in years. It's incredible. I mean, you have a team like the Jets with all this talent, and they may not make the playoffs. And you have a Giants team that has not as much talent, but they're right on the cusp of possibly getting in. They're right there in the seventh spot. Now, I'm going to be very curious to see how Giants will have a very big game coming up against Minnesota. That's a big one. If they can shut down Kirk Cousins, they can shut down this Vikings offense. Could that be the game that maybe that's the reason the Giants get into the playoffs is if they beat Minnesota, that could be the very game that maybe gets them in. It could be. It could be. It's a challenge because for the Giants, the good news is the four most important players on defense will be there. Ojalari, Thibodeau, and in the middle you have Lawrence, and you have Leonard Williams. Those are the four guys who are the center of, of containing Cousins in the, in the Minnesota offense. And maybe they'll get one of the defensive backs back. Maybe Jackson will be there. Not sure. Maybe we'll see uh, Xavier back. Not sure. But they're getting closer. And that's going to help. Was, yeah, Landon Collins is back now. All of a sudden, um, he was back, back as a linebacker. He's not. He's not what he was, but uh, he's helping. And uh, yeah. I, I like. I like what I've seen out of Jalen Smith. Also, guy who's overcome some huge injuries, but I think healthy, he can be a real contributor. You know, I think the other reminder to guys is, oftentimes coaches get so married to their scheme that they don't look at personnel. They just decide, you've got to do it my way. What Brian Dable and Joe Shane came together on initially was, we've got to make the best of what we have. It was considered a bridge year. This was not supposed to be a season where they competed for a playoff spot. But because they did such a good job 
at OTAs in training camp and deciding that they were going to take what they had and make the most of it as opposed to by hook or by crook, we're doing it our way. Previous regimes, that was clearly the mindset. We're doing it my way. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. And players pick up on that. When you're telling someone we're going to maximize what you do, not within the confines of our offense or within the confines of our defense, that's what changes a culture. We use that word a lot. But I've had a couple of Giants games. I've had a chance to talk to Dable now on a few occasions. You can't not be impressed when you sit down with him, how he connects on a human level and the kind of impact he's had. He's the real deal. And I don't know if they're making the playoffs this year. I just know they're finally going in the right direction. I mean, for the first for the first time since God knows when the Giants look like they're going in the right direction, because ever since they won that second Super Bowl against the Patriots, it's just been a uh, steady, long, painful decline of the wrong direction happening for about 11 years. Just to remind everybody what they're listening to. This is the downtown sports Christmas holiday special whether you like kwanzaa hanukkah christmas or any of the other number of holidays that take place around this time of year festivus you should be yes festivus for the rest of us of course mm-hmm. um you should all be listening and tuning in and uh let me just reintroduce the panel of guests former wfan update anchor and one of the honestly one of the best guys to talk sports with in the world mike mccann former host of the New Yorker sports rant, Matt O'Boyle, the host of everything, Ian Eagle. Um, Ian, first off, and uh, I, I just have a question for you. Since this is a family show, you know, we're, we're sitting down to a family conversation. What is with the entire media world calling your son baby bird? It, it, it feels like <laughs> they're infantilizing Noah. I'm sorry. There has to be a change here. It can't be baby bird. It, 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 Young bird, something. He's not a baby. Babies don't have Emmys. That's the one thing I want to say. John, I think I think he's cool with it. So if he's not offended, I'm asking you not to be offended. It's all good. It's all in in good spirit and in good fun. It's been obviously really cool to to see him get some assignments and take advantage of them. Obviously, last week to walk into one of the most historic games in NFL history which comes out of nowhere. They're down 33-0. Minnesota comes back, wins the game. He could do this for another 40 years. He's not going to see another game like that, let alone be associated with it in a broadcast. So uh, very proud and very nerve-wracking to watch your son do this or listen to him on the radio because it's helpless. It's a very helpless feeling. If I'm doing the game, it's fine. I I know what I've gotten myself into, but – I can't help him. It's all it's all him. He's got to put his big boy pants on and and not just be the baby bird. Just go out and do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, how does it feel as a parent? Like, um, I mean, and obviously you've done some of the best things in this uh, in- industry's history. You've called some of the best games. You've been on some of the most legendary runs when it comes to uh, I've done this game. I've done that game. Then I've flown over here. I think you've called like what? two different sports in three different weeks in multiple different cities. How does it feel to see your son doing the same thing? Like, cause I never understood how that could be, uh, you know, I, I would always imagine like, how did Marv Albert feeling watching Kenny 
Albert, for example. So what is that feeling when you're watching your son or you're hearing your son do all these games? And I know you're not there to help him, but what is your feelings as a father being where you are in this industry, listening to him and seeing how far he's come in the short amount of time he's been in it? Yeah, first and foremost, you feel a sense of pride that he was even interested in what I did for a living and wanted to pursue it. When he was probably about 13, I noticed he would start asking questions, paying attention more, really locking in. If he came with me to a game and sat next to me in a booth or uh, was just to the side when I was doing it on camera or doing the open. And then that spilled into an interest beyond just being a fan, but becoming a student of this. If you want to be really good at this job, you have to immerse yourself in it. This is not a stick your toe in the pool kind of thing. You want to do play by play, you have to be swept up into it. It has to take over your life in many ways for the preparation part. And then the performance part, you can do a great job preparing, but if you don't perform well, then it doesn't amount to much. You could do a great job performing. If you don't prepare well, eventually you'll be exposed on the air for not knowing your stuff or not understanding the storylines. So it's this marriage of those two philosophies that that can take you to, to certain places in this business. So the fact that he was even interested in it to begin with was uh, just mind blowing. And the fact that he's been able to do it and do it at a high level and do it with a lot of confidence and humility. That's the other part of it. You, you go in overconfident, as Mike will tell you, as Matt will tell you, as you guys know, it doesn't necessarily work out that way just because you have the confidence. You've got to also have the humility to recognize that you've got to put the work in and um, there's somebody that's standing by ready to do your job if you can't do it well. So that drives you and motivates you. And for him, I think uh, being around it as much as he has in his life has probably put him in a position to better understand it and recognize the attributes that you need to to be successful at it. Absolutely. And as the reins, as Noah's now beginning that ascent into calling bigger games for the NFL, et cetera, uh, Ian, you will also be taking the reins for Jim Nance in about another year from now for the NCAA tournament for basketball. And this has got to be a uh, really a tremendous, this is a big, this is really big. For, I mean, Jim Nance has called the NCAA for years. You, He's calling in NFL football on CBS as well. Talk about having this opportunity to now be the main voice for college basketball for the NCAA. Just how, how big of a deal is this for you? Well, it's it's an honor beyond anything else. The, the fact that CBS and Turner trust me to take this over in 2024, that means a great deal in and of itself. And I feel a responsibility that comes with it. These are kids that are playing – college sports. And for most of them, this is the highest level they'll ever get to. This is their career highlight. This is what they'll show their family five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So to know that you're the voice that's going to document that comes with a lot of responsibility. Having done the tournament the last 25 years, I understand what, what this event is all about. And then the other part of it is what we talked about earlier, and that's humility. 
Jim Nance has done this now for 30 years, 30 years calling the Final Four. That will never be matched. That is unparalleled to have that kind of run to tell those stories for as long as he has, and he's done it at such a high level, a Hall of Fame level. So I'm not going to go in there trying to be anybody else. I'm going to do the game just like I've done them for the last number of years, recognizing that I'm doing three extra games at the end of it, having done the regionals now for for the last several seasons, and approach it the same way. Uh, Bring enthusiasm. uh, Certainly be curious when I get the assignment, wanting to know as much as I can learn about these teams, about these players, about these coaches, and then doing the best job I can do to get out of the way when when the action is is so engaging as a play-by-play announcer, you're there to accompany it, to maybe enhance it sometimes, to complement it, not to overwhelm it. So constant reminders when you do the games, would I find this interesting if I was sitting at home? That's what I'm always telling myself when I'm working these broadcasts, that won't change. If anything, there'll be a, a more laser focus on on that part of it when when that assignment starts for me in a little more than a year. So let's just go into a couple of other things really quickly. Um, I don't know how many of you guys actually had a chance to pay too much attention to the World Cup. I mean, I know that was the biggest thing on social media in terms of sports, but I'm pretty sure everybody had their own little opinions or watched a little bit of it if they could. Um, This is where we're going to bring in Matt O'Boyle. Matt, you know, you've been downtown sports soccer guy for a little while now. That is a huge honor, by the way. Cup final. That World Cup final bunch of games, Matt, can anyone, you know, can anyone just, can you explain how that all went down? Because I am not the biggest soccer fan. You know more about that that stuff than I do. Please get into it. Well, listen, you know, you know, in regards to some of the things I was talking about with uh, the NCAA tournament. You know, the, the thing that you hope for um, in terms of, of sports is great stories and things that um, will engage people who aren't even diehards. Um, you know, in the, in the NCAA tournament, we've seen it. Cinderella runs from, you know, small schools that, that uh, are able to make, advance themselves to the semifinals or the finals. Um, it, you know, the human element is what, we I think we really do all love about sports as much as it's you know our team and or whatever else it's it's the human element and you know Fox this is their first year taking over um, the World Cup and they couldn't have scripted it any better uh, just in terms of the fortune that they had in in terms of storylines um, and being able to engage people. Uh, you had this was the first World Cup that was during the winter, you know, as opposed to during the summer. Um, you had it, it controversy in terms of where it was being held, how it was, how it got there. Uh, the great documentary on Netflix about the corruption of FIFA and the the, the World Cup finals in Russia and Qatar. The corruption goes back even further than that, but that's you know, um, you know, you had the unfortunate tragedy of the passing of Grant Wall. 
um, which is, is something that will always leave a dark sort of a dark mark on on the, the tournament. But when it was all said and done, when when they finally you know the tournament started, it was about the sport and it was about the players on the pitch and it was about the fan bases. I mean, we saw, or I mean, most of Argentina made their way to Qatar to be there for the final. I mean, most of the country. I don't mean most of the people in the area. I mean, most of the country of Argentina were in were in Qatar for the final. Um, the story of Messi finally, you know, to reference an old Steve Young thing, taking the monkey off his back. Uh, if you remember when when the 49ers beat the Chargers, uh, mm-hmm. famously, you know, he finally got that burden off his back. Well, that was really the case for Lionel Messi. Um, but leading into that, you know, whether it was the story of Morocco, which I, t- I talked about with Beast, you know, his father is from Morocco. You know, here's the first Afri- African club to make it to the semifinals. Um, you know, whether it was uh, watching the very uncomfortable ending of Cristiano Ronaldo's international career, which did not end well. Uh, for for the, for those for those who are not familiar, it did not end well for Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you know, watching Brazil wash out, Germany wash out. Um, you know, and and that's not even counting the biggest story. You know, at least low. You know, in terms of it, you know, the 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 babies. You know, uh, of the United States men's national soccer team, and you know the optimism that should be there going into twenty twenty six when the World Cup will be uh, part of North America. Um, it, it, you know, we saw some great matches along the way. France and England was a brilliant match. And then, you, you know, you just couldn't do any better than the final between France and Argentina, which was just about the craziest match I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's saying that's saying something. And I don't want to cut you off, Matt O'Boyle, but uh, we got another guest that has just popped in. Ladies and gentlemen, the producer of Tiki and Tyranny Monday through Fridays on WFAN. You'll hear him sometimes on the overnights. On WFAN, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Peter Hoffman comes home for the downtown sports holiday special. How you doing, sir? I'm fantastic. I'm just walking in the park to Eastchester right now, but I couldn't miss out on this. How we doing, boys? <laughs> How you doing, Pete? We're doing fantastic. great. And yeah, now Pete, you missed the you missed uh, the Nets talk. You missed a little of the Jets talk. Uh I just want to say one thing um, as well. First off, let's just reintroduce the panel again. Pete Hoffman, midday producer, WFAN, Mike McCann, one of the uh, best update anchors in the history of sports radio. Matt O'Boyle, former host of the New Yorker Sports Rant, host of the Mighty Sports Express podcast. And Ian Eagle, the, the voice that you hear calling everything and on every game, like you think he's not working? No, he's on Westwood One on radio, and if they can still do games over telegraph, he'd do that too. Um, so how does it feel, everybody, to all be from New York City? All of us have rooting interests here. It's the winter time where we're bundled up in winter hats and coats and scarves and all this other stuff, and we actually have stuff to root for this year, other than getting to springtime already yeah no it's a it's a great feeling i feel feel like you haven't felt this as far as new york goes we haven't felt this in like a decade decades like where we have relevant teams in every single you know sport and it just the, the potential is endless whether it's even the giants 
right now where you just thought that a team that was going to start from from point zero. This is like year zero for this team that the rebuild and they're about to make the playoffs. Like there's a there's a scenario this weekend where they can make the playoffs. That's amazing, and it it goes up and down the, the uh, every single sport. That's uh you know with baseball, basketball, hockey, even it's it's just a great feeling, and and it's good to be a New Yorker. Let's put it that way. I'll give you I'll give you one quick little phrase that describes the New York sports scene right now, especially with the holiday season in mind. Joy, not oi. Look what we've got. Yes. The Yankees <laughs> hold on to Judge, and and they beef up the pitching staff with Rodon. The Mets and Steve Cohen spending the money. Both football teams in the conversation for the playoffs. Both basketball teams as hot as they can be. The hockey team's looking good. This is great. Pete, uh, yeah. Ian, we're, we're all veterans of the fan. Isn't it happier when, when the radio station <laughs> can take positive calls instead of just griping, unhappy, grumpy fans flooding the phone lines? <laughs> The well, one well, show I hosted, the one show I hosted, all I had was negative calls after uh, both uh, the Jets and the Giants didn't make the playoffs. It was another failed year for Jerry Reese. Yeah, I had a bunch of angry people when I the one time I got the shot. Let me let me finally get the right everybody. thing. Change it. Change yeah, it. Well, that, that's the thing is, I, there's 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 always going to be angry people no matter what. Like like you said, the Jets. What are they are they going to do the right thing? There are always going to be unhappy campers, but overall, the, the picture is very optimistic, which is never the case. You know, what's really interesting, guys, I did talk for a long time at FAN. Started, first show I did was late 1991, and probably ended up doing talk until the mid aughts 2005, 2006 started at that point, then really focusing in on play-by-play. The difference in approach as a play-by-play announcer, you have to go in prepared to do the entire broadcast. You're not allowed to leave. If the game gets out of reach, you have to be better. You have to you have to find other avenues in which to entertain and inform the audience. And because that's been my mentality now for so long, that's how I view it. The The results don't really affect me the way that they used to. And I get it. When you're doing talk, it's everything. It changes your mood. It changes your demeanor, your comportment. Everything is affected. In play-by-play, you have to stay so neutral in order to do your job well and not get caught up in the, the swaying of emotions. So I'm not saying that I'm immune to it. I'm not. I'm human. Of course, I feel these things. But I just know because I've been so locked into this role for so long, the the roller coaster nature of the wins and losses probably doesn't affect me the way that it used to. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just know I've had to learn how to compartmentalize in order to do this job and to try to do it well. I've had to you learn know, funny. Brooklyn College Bulldogs. I've had to learn it for 10 years calling Brooklyn College men and women's games. You know, the men have a few bumps in the road. Women do, but, you know, you just have to – you have to just be down the middle. You can't let mm-hmm. things sway to the left or sway to the right. Maddie, you had something to the, say? Yeah, the, the ironic thing is that I agree, you know, Pete, you know, with everybody saying it, it must be nice to work at the fan where it's a happy environment in regards to the teams in New York sports. But the ironic thing is 
the most memorable moments that I have as being a listener of WFAN since I was a kid are almost all inevitably the train wrecks that have come down the tracks. Uh, the first one that always comes to mind is Jets Lions Beningo uh, at midnight, absolutely losing his mind, and then Francesa calling in. Or no, I'm sorry, Francesa undressing him the next day and then having to go on to Joe's show uh, the following night. You know, listen, successes are great, but man, the storylines that you get from the tragedies are just sometimes it's just hard to not find those memorable. I mean, I think one of the most memorable things ever said on the fan. And yes, I am tooting my own horn. And yes, yes, I am hyping myself up because I'm around legends. I have to. But um, when I think I pretty much upset the entire New York area where on the first shot that I ever had to do this, I went on air on Christmas Eve and called New York City the worst sports town in America. And I literally laid out 20 minutes worth of proof. I think we were uh, 17 games under 500 if you counted the Bills, the Jets, the Mets, the and everybody. Yeah, the, some of the best times are on when it's because uh, when sports is good, yeah, I guess everybody like likes to talk to each other and it's more happy-go-lucky. You got a lot more people calling in and there's a lot more things going wrong. But I want to just before we get to hot stove, we're going to end it on hot stove, you know, because you know, it's winter outside. We need to warm up. But yeah. we pretty much at this point have just about every generation of WFAN from Mike McCann to Peter Hoffman to uh, Matt O'Boyle hosting the first. I, I, I'd say the New Yorker sports rant was the was the first real podcast WFAN ever had. And um, Phenom Contest with me. I think the only one that hasn't been around WFAN is uh, John Perriente here, who was at Westwood One instead. So, oh well, um, I had to de- look. It was it was a, it was a good environment there too. Don't worry, they they look, be, good. Be, be, you always have to be the one that's different. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you could be the different one. Hey, I mean, it's look, okay there's a different. lot of. Hey, look, if it wasn't for of- me working at Westwood One, I wouldn't. Me and Iron Eagle wouldn't be here right now. That's right. I'm I'm really that serious. Is absolutely about that. Exactly. By the way, Iron Eagle's here, as is Peter Hoffman, as is Matt O'Boyle, as is Mike McCann. All of their accomplishments are legendary. If you don't know about who these guys are, then uh, I don't know if you've ever watched sports before. If you've never watched sports before, we're glad you're here. Um, but the holiday special. I just want to say from each of you guys, because uh, I know uh, Hoff, Ian, Mike, Matt. When do you think? How do I want to put this? I don't want to say when do you think the glory age of the fan was, because I don't want to discount them now. How about this? I think this is a better call. What kind of significance do you all think WFAN had on the sports business in general? Do you think sports talk would be where it is today without the fan? Yeah, I, I could chime in here. I interned there in 1989, got a job there in 1990. Station started in 1987. And the thing that always resonated with me, the closeness 
the bonds that were formed there was my first real professional experience. But the impact is is just beyond what you can even imagine. It affected every aspect of the sports industry, not just the media industry, sports in general. The fact that fans had a place to congregate and to share their opinions instantly, immediately after an event was over. Used to be you'd wake up in the morning, you'd get the newspaper, and that's the first chance you'd get to to gauge what the reaction was to an event or if you went to your local bar after a game or if you were in a in a gathering of some sort you would chat about it but this was now for everybody and the immediacy of that changed sports as we know it general managers owners managers they were all listening to the fan it was a compass in many ways and yes was some of it uh, frustration from fans? It was. I mean, I, I remember very vividly the night the Yankees won the World Series, 1996. Charlie Hayes makes the catch. Yankees are world champions. I was doing a show on FAN after that game. The Yankees were on a different radio station, but we open up the phone lines. And the first caller, literally the first caller after the Yankees won the World Series, I see it flashing on the screen oh boy jerome from manhattan from manhattan <laughs> long time caller jerome from manhattan Rest and i think to myself jerome. i've talked to jerome at this point you know 50 times in my life on overnight shows and i thought to myself okay this is it i'm going to get a different jerome he's going to be happy he's going to be joyous he's going to be in celebration mode and i hit the button jerome from manhattan the yankees are world champions you're on the fan he says I am very concerned about Bob Watson and how he's going to keep this team together. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They just won the oh title God. six minutes ago, man. You can't even. And that to me was just a little thumbnail sketch in, in what that is. Open phone lines means open phone lines. You talk to anybody, you don't know what's going on in their life in that moment. No. And for a minute, two minutes, sometimes on the overnight shows, it would be more like five to seven minutes. If it was Doris from Rego Park, it could be up to 12 minutes. You would listen Boy. in to what was happening in their brain and it gave you insight. And sometimes it gave you comfort. So for me, I think it affected every aspect of sports as we know it, and you cannot dismiss the role that that this has played. Have other things popped up since? Yes, of course. We evolve, we change, and we develop other methods and other platforms. But man, was this important at the time? It really was. And um... and radio-wise, it was such a breakthrough because if you grew up when – I did in the 60s and 70s. The sports show is an hour or two. I grew up when Bill Mazur was on 660, as it turned out, later in the afternoons. That was the other radio I listened to along with rock and roll. Into the 70s, we had uh, Jack Spector and then John Sterling, Art Rust in the 80s, but it was appointment listening, an hour or two, maybe three hours for a show on the weekend. But there was no 24-7 sports. FAN gave listeners, gave fans the chance to vent, to listen, to learn, to swap stories anytime, middle of the night, middle of the afternoon. We untapped something that was so special because of the rich sports heritage of the New York area. 
it's still there. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Four years later. It, it's amazing that, I mean, this was a, a concept and an idea that was completely panned by, you know, the media around the country that a 24 hour sports radio station, you know, they, you know, basically compared it to the Titanic, it's destined to fail there, you know, there's no need for it. And they couldn't have been more wrong. These are the same people who thought the internet was just a phase, um, you know, but what WFAN, I mean, you know, I, I, I never did a show on air. I did just obviously uh, as the host, uh, I was the co-host of the New Yorker sports rant with uh, Greg Giannotti and then, and then uh, ended up hosting uh, with Anita Marks uh, for, for a brief period of time. But as, as somebody who just grew up listening to it, I mean, you know, there was an afternoon, uh, you know, this is going back, I guess it was 97 or 98 when uh, Fred Wilpont thought he was going to have a quiet afternoon at work. And all of a sudden, Mike and the Mad Dog opened up the phone lines to angry Mets fans who basically bullied the, the New York Mets into trading for Mike Piazza. I mean, yeah, that actually I, I, happened on air. I mean, you, you know, they can say what they want, but it was the reaction of the fans calling in and just the frustration, especially after seeing that, the you know, the Yankees had won the World Series in 96 and were in the midst of building, you know, this dynasty. And, you know, here you have the Mets who've been floundering basically since uh, 1988 when they lose to the yeah, Dodgers. The Yankees basically had, yeah, the Yankees basically had Derek Jeter, every pitcher you'd ever want, Wade Boggs, and Met fans are sitting well, here looking at Todd Hundley like, what are we doing with ourselves? And you had George and, Steinbrenner. <laughs> yeah. And, but it was that, you know, I still remember that afternoon. And it was, it was brilliant, you know, on the part of Mike and Chris to just let the fans vent. And 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 just, you know, basically for once, it wasn't really about what Mike or Chris had to say. It was about letting the Met fan be heard. And it worked. I mean, and then it, that changed the dynamic. I mean, the Mets then at least were competitive, didn't w- end up uh, winning a championship, but became a competitive team there for a few years. And but that just goes to show you how powerful that radio station has become. I mean, it, it really there's not and there's nothing like it. I've traveled a lot. Um, you know, almost lived in, in I, I did live in Alabama, uh, almost lived in Georgia, you know, and I'm, and I'm just telling you, there is no comparison. Um, you know, when I live down south, it's all they want to talk about is the SEC, which is fine. I mean, as a Georgia Bulldog fan, I'm OK with that. But there, there, there's no there's no market like New York in terms of the sports world. It has it's shaped it's shaped and shifted how radio stations around the country have decided to have their sports radio stations. Um, they're all based on WFAN, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. And I'll give you another uh I'll give you another um big event that uh Mr. Mike Francesa was uh partly responsible for putting together. Now uh Pete Hoffman, my neighborhood guy, my Yonkers boy, I wanna ask you a couple of questions about this because I think you were there at the fan when this was happening. I remember it was uh, the year I had made Phenom Finals. Uh, I'll explain what that contest was in a little bit. But it was one of the the year I made the finals. I remember um, A-Rod getting suspended or something like that, something like that happening. And he took like a motorcade surrounded by a million people going down the streets of Manhattan to go talk to Mike Francesa. Because he had to get the truth out there. It was like uh 
it was a, it was like if you were watching like the parade of failure come down. It, 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 and by the way, this wasn't when you guys were in Queens. You got you. I think they had just moved to Manhattan. What was that day like, Mr. Hoffman? Because I think you were in the building for that one. Uh, I definitely was around. I don't I don't know if I was there when he walked in there, but I mean, I the fact that he drove down to Hutchins Street to talk to Mike, to lie to his face about everything was outrageous. That just shows the impact, again, that even some uh, major sports star as an Alex Rodriguez felt that the, the fan had was that he, that's where he went to go voice his thing, you know, how he thought how messed up things were going on his, on, on his end of things. So, I mean, listen, it was, uh, it was incredible that he had the goal to go do that. But again, it just, it just screams how important, you know, Francesca's voice was and the fans' voice was at the time. And you are, let's just be real, you are the new generation of WFAN. Eventually, you're going to be the one um, in one of those big-time spots taking the station forward from what you've seen to where you are now as the fan. How do you feel the station is evolving, and how do you feel the station's purpose is evolving as we go along? Well, listen, I mean, it's, it's, it's from what it once was, I mean, the legendary names that passed through that, that, you know, were there, you know, no one can replace them. You can just always try to do better, but that's almost impossible. Like that, again, the heyday of, of uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, Joe and Evan and stuff like that. It's, it's really hard to sit there and say that we're going to, you know, blow them out of the water, but that's, that's the goal. That's what we try to do. But I think the lineup right now is that, uh, you know, an amazing peak. Uh, I think we have, uh, you know, great characters on the radio. I think people have a lot of fun. And I think that's part of it, too, is just to have fun. You know, we, we're talking sports on a, on a regular basis. We're not supposed to be as angry as we once were. But it's supposed to be fun. I think everyone's accomplishing that. And again, I think that the talent is, is, is amazing. But, you know, you see you, you see guys like Ian who you look up to and now we watch him on TV and you listen to him on the broadcast. And that's something that we want to do, too. Like you just you just again, Ian adds so much to, to the games on a regular basis that we are able to talk about the game. And it just it just adds that much more flavor to what the station's history has been. Um, but, yeah, dude, I think right now we're we're really on a on a on a great path. Uh, and just keep on. It's digital has taken over too, which has helped to create behind the scenes stuff that I think a lot of people at the fan and a lot of people that work at the fan know about the behind the scenes stuff. But now we're actually able to open that door up to a lot of listeners and fans, and now they see what we see, which I think is kind of cool. I think it's a great moment to see the next generation. We're getting into. We're getting into that phase now. It's it's kind of hard to believe. Maybe like in a few years from now, the passing of the torch will happen. And us, the young kids, maybe we can bring even more ideas to further expand the world of the sports radio show. Basically what Beast is saying is once these people are out, me and him are going to move in. That, that That's basically what he's saying right there. Um well, we're spoiled right now. Listen, back in the day, you know, before the, the ability to download the podcast or, you know, if you missed a big moment, you know, on the radio when it was live, you missed it. Uh, so it's a, it's a great it's a great dynamic now that if you found out that something, you know, 
something like Pete mentioned, you know, the, the A-Rod interview, you know, back, you know, back then, maybe they would replay F.A. and would replay it. But now, you know, you would just go to, you know, go to your podcast center and download the interview. But when you miss those moments, uh, you know, like like uh, like Ian mentioned with Jerome from Manhattan, you know, we oh, wow. can't get that. Mo- we can't get that moment back now. I would I would <laughs> love to hear. I would love to hear that phone call right now. Nothing would make me happier. Oh, man, I, it just brings back a lot of memories. And uh, clearly, Hoff is a part of what's happening now. And he's a great dude. And I think ultimately what I think back on are the people. The people make the radio station. Mike was there forever. Matt got to experience it. When I was there, it it really was like a sitcom. You know, you would get into a screaming match with Chris Russo in the newsroom, not on the air, in the newsroom over God knows what, like something that didn't really matter, yet it would get me agitated to a level that I can't even recreate or simulate because he just had an ability to push buttons he would say something to me about the nets and i would like fly off the handle and i'm talking about right in front of the fax machine not on the air just honest to goodness you know passionate screaming because we both love sports and we both wanted to defend our position And that was happening on a daily basis. That wasn't once every three months. Every day, Chris would bring that that whole persona with him. Everybody always asked me, is that an act? No, dude, not an act. That's him. Is it an exaggerated version of him? Yeah, but he's, he's crazy in a good way. That's what made him such a great host. Mike was uh, in his heyday as good a sports host as I had ever heard in my life. Well-read, articulate, argumentative, all the things that you look for in in sports talk. And FAN had it. And yes, it is the template. It's what everybody else is doing around the country. Matt hit on it. Do other markets do it differently? They do. They figure out what works for them. But it's still at the core of of what WFAN was, a voice for the fan, WFAN. It was the voice of the fan. And that means getting the fan's perspective. And to me, that's what it was all about. When I did shows, I tried to get to as many calls as I possibly could. And I did weekend overnights for an entire year, 1992. So that's midnight to 6 a.m. Friday into Saturday, midnight to 6 a.m. Saturday into Sunday. And you hit about 2.30 a.m., on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning, you're going to get people that are absolutely ossified. They've gone out (laughs) for the night, they've come back and they're looking to kill time and just call in and talk sports with whatever yo-yo is on the air at that point. And I I relished it. I loved it. I I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, Working on little to no sleep, but having a blast talking sports with the people of New York. I, I got to tell first, then I got a point to yeah, add. Yeah, I got to tell real quick. I was uh, I was a bartender in Manhattan for for many years uh, while I was uh, pursuing uh, the the dream of of working for WFAN or for a sports talk radio station. And uh, one night, uh, I, I I don't think I'm speaking out of school. I was driving home, and uh, I had gone to a broadcasting school with uh, Jerry Recco and Ray Martel. 
and uh they were doing the overnight. Uh, Evan had uh, just taken over. I believe they had taken the overnight show. And uh, I, I called Jerry. He was uh, he was doing the updates. And uh, he's like, what are you what are you doing? What are you, what are you where are you? And I'm like, ah, I'm coming home from the city. And he says, well, come over to come over to Astoria. And uh, I made the trip over to Astoria. This is before they, they moved to Manhattan. And uh, I went in and, and Ray was was uh, the producer and Jerry was doing the updates. And uh, I got to see uh, the the original FAN, which, you know, to me was like walking backstage at the Beacon Theater, you know, when the Alban brothers were playing there, you know, Um, it it was just uh, a a crazy thing. But I was one of the people who normally (laughs) called in on those overnight shows if I was either working the bar or after working the bar. And I may have uh, may have had a few libations. And so you might have had me uh, occasionally from time to time venting about my frustrations with the will ponds or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, now, uh, for everybody that has been at the station who has hosted at the station, I got another uh, caller. Now, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I think maybe everybody here has at least spoken to this person on a WFAN telephone line. That would be Leslie from Fort Lee. Now, I and you know, that guy is the biggest Mets fan there ever was. I mean, I, I remember talking to him and then I remember him on Twitter after talking to me going on Twitter and saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, all this, this and that. I, I felt so warm inside. I'm like, this is what you guys must feel like all the time. This is what I want to grow up to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a rite of passage in in some way when when you get that kind of very visceral response and just a point of uh, of another another visual for you mike can attest to this uh, i'm not sure hoff can and matt maybe just because of the story you just told i think you built up in your head what the fan studios were like at kaufman astoria studios <laughs> and you get there you're like oh my gosh this is an armpit like yep. it was absolutely in the- it was in the catacombs of this very <laughs> old building that used to house uh, movie sets. And the Cosby show was there at one point, which is a whole other story you could get into. And you would walk into the newsroom area. It was a bullpen. There were eight different areas that you could work. And the ceiling was stained with urine that had seeped through from the second floor bathroom that was just never dealt with. And this was the number one radio station in the country. I remember having a couple of people come visit me and they would walk in shocked. They're like, wait, where's the actual station? I was like, no, no, this is this is it. <laughs> this is the place. So it's just funny, the theater of the mind, how you can create a certain visual in your brain of what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be like this before there was any simulcast. Eventually, when the Yes Network came in they had to actually spruce it up and buy new equipment and there was one year when they bought a whole new uh, studio table that the first night i couldn't believe it i walked in and i was like oh my gosh this is updated and new steve summers would smoke during the show and he would put out his cigarette butts in a styrofoam cup with a third of coffee in it (laughs) yes and in this particular instance, the first day, literally the first day that they had this new studio put in, he flicks a cigarette 
and the one that he flicked it into did not have any coffee in it. It was just a styrofoam cup. It burned a hole through the styrofoam cup onto the counter. And that hole was there for 13 years. Day one, Mark Chernoff came in the next day. What happened here? (laughs) Steve Summers in in less than a day destroyed the countertop of a brand new studio that and, it required years to build. So that, that just gives you a little taste of what was going and, on. And I, who, who I'm drawing a blank right now, who was the update guy that they said had the, just the absolute worst OCD about the, um, the, you know, the, the cleanliness, um, I'm drawing oh, a blank. Rich Ackerman? Ackerman. Rich, Rich, more Rich Ackerman. And that's, that's, still, that's still a thing, by the way. I yeah. still walk into every <laughs> studio and spray it down way before COVID. Oh, no, no. He he knew what was going to happen. He had a premonition yeah, he, about COVID before it took place. <laughs> now, now, um, Pete Hoffman, as the one person, now, I, I don't know how you were able to survive when Steve Summers rained hands and feet and blows upon you um, that day. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about a promo they did uh, on Audacity where apparently uh, Pete Hoffman and Steve Summers went outside to have a fight. And, uh, you know, Steve Lucky Strike Summers took care of business there. But um, I could just imagine what it was like. You walk in, it, it, like you ever see that episode of Newsroom where the guy on the air is just so happy. He's smoking his cigarettes. He's reading the news. They take the cigarette away from him. All of a sudden he sounds like this. He's so unhappy. I can just imagine that being Mr. Summers on the air like that. I wish we could have had him here. Tried to get him on, unfortunately, could not do so. But uh, yeah, Hop. Well, first off, I still I see you're still healing from some of those injuries. Well, first of all, Steve was a pleasure to work with on and off air uh, in many different ways. Pleasure because you you realize how much you enjoy other working with other people at times. Uh, no, but. <laughs> But seriously, Steve was, he was like a very uh, down, he, there's too many words to explain Steve, but the biggest thing about him was he had this humor, he took his job so seriously, there was a lot of intensity behind it, but it came from a good place, which is something that when you work with somebody that's been in the business for so long, you like to still see have that passion. So for that, I give Steve so much love and credit for the one thing now that he got jealous that everyone else was fighting. He, I think Francesca was fighting with somebody. Gio and Carl were fighting. And Steve comes to me and goes, Pete, we got to do a bit. Can we fight on air? I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. I got things ready. Trust me, I've had things piled up for years about you. Let's go at it. So when wow. he opened that can of worms, let's just have some fun. And it, was, it, was, it was brilliant. It was a blast. And I'm glad it came off real. No, Pete, seriously, you- I heard th- I heard that. I was like, wait a minute, hold up. First off, who is this Pete Hoffman? That I remember who you were. I'm like, wait, no, Jay's told me about now. I don't know who to root for in the fight. The guy who smokes the unfiltered lucky strikes, or my boy, one of my boys' best friends. I I, I was torn, I was confused, I didn't know what to do. Nah, you gotta always go, Steve. By the way, uh, just for uh everyone on the this is the inside thing, but Steve continued his smoking habits all throughout the new studios when we moved to Hudson, so much so that they had signs in the bathrooms begging him not to smoke. Like this is with no saying, please, no smoking in the bathrooms. This is for you, Steve. Like we it, it continued up until he retired. 
He was one of the yeah. Did you ever get a, your hands on on a, one of the last uh, handwritten monologues? Didn't I, am, I, am I remembering that correct? He used to uh, uh, handwrite. He, he had the yellow pages, and I mean, he yeah. had a, a drawer full of them. Like, I mean, you opened it up. I heard his house, he had like a bunch of like, you know, just areas that he just had. T- he never got rid of them. He, because those were his notes. And like, he'd, go, he'd have things that he'd reference back to like months ago he'd go back to it I, he had a, a crazy system it was unbelievable again his work that's what he did just it was always writing and he was always trying to be on point he'd always try to outdo what he did the day before which is incredible i never took a, uh, a notepad i did not but i could probably find one if i needed to <laughs> by the way so- it, youtube has still some of the greatest clips ever of steve when he was working out in the bay area doing sport <laughs> that is. are absolutely i i mean i could spend hours just watching steve summers <laughs> talk talk about uh san francisco giants baseball uh on on the local news network back in the early 80s with an absolutely world-class afro <laughs> it looks like steve summers it just looks like steve <laughs> summers had like a bad reaction to shrimp and blew up <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, I remember because I, uh, I actually when I met him the one time at the fan before I did the one little cameo appearance I did. Uh, he had said to me, uh, "I'm like, oh, so I remember, like, you know, in San Fran, and you come to New York, and you're like, I, I seem to remember you being a bigger dude." He said, "Well, I have to tell you something. I went to the doctor. He said." You know, you're going to have heart trouble. You need to either give up the food or give up the cigarettes. And now I'm 85 pounds. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I ever that he ever said to me because that was I've known. I knew him for like five minutes. Um, how about somebody who's known him for longer than five minutes? Mr. Mike McCann. Please well, tell Steve me you, gotta- you talk about Steve writing and, and having worked a lot of evenings with Steve. At the fan, the one thing, and, and I, I think Pete certainly pointed this out, the, the yellow legal pads, that was his trademark. Handwritten monologues, page after page. He left nothing to chance. And I'll compare Steve to another radio legend I worked with in my in my previous career, if you will, Dan Ingram. Best disc jockey who ever worked in New York. I followed him on CBS FM on the weekends for four years. And while Dan was great with ad living dan was somebody who liked to come in with a lot of show notes have uh, song stories in front of him for a time they were on a legal pad and then he switched over to working off a laptop towards the final couple of years of his career leave nothing to chance preparation is the best way to succeed and i learned a lot from from both of them in their own ways is that these guys, they made it sound effortless, but the effort they put in to make it sound effortless, that's that's what set them apart. All right. So let's dive into our final uh, piece. This has been this has been quite an incredible amount of stories we have heard here. WFAN, everything. It's just tremendous. And I want to end this edition here today with hot stove. I think a perfect way to warm up from this cold winter chill. And it been quite a lot of news in the baseball offseason already. I mean, you have the Yankees keeping Judge. The Mets went out, made moves, getting Justin Verlander, getting this 
New young kid from Japan, Kodai Sanga, going to be another piece in that rotation. You keep Scherzer, you give up Jacob deGrom. He leaves, he goes to the Texas Rangers. So Carlos Correa goes to San Fran. There's been a lot of twists and turns already in this offseason. And with the way baseball is going to be shaping up for this coming year, where every team is going to play everybody else, at least for one series each. So interleague plays throughout. You're going to play everybody in the American and National League once. The DH is there for is there to stay. We're not going to see any more shifting. What kind of baseball are we going to, with this offseason coming up and the, the trades that have happened, what kind of direction is baseball heading in for 2023? I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the fact that, that you know, no shift, the DH in, in both. You know, maybe that's just me being an old stick in the mud. Grew up loving uh, National League baseball. Um, there's no style to it now. I know. It, I'm, I know the I'm numbers, with you, Matt. I'm with you, Matt. I know the numbers. I, I think last season, if I remember correctly, bear, bore out that there was less home runs. I think right. That was, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't know. I I, I just missed the way. It, maybe it's the sentimentalist in me. I missed the way it used to be. I think one of the great things that was when they first introduced interleague play, it was. Oh, you know, one three game series, you know, Mets and Yankees, uh, you know, whatever teams that you were talking about, Cubs, White Sox, um, the intercity you know, rivalry, the intercity, yeah, rivalry. and, and it was, it, it was, it was just the three games and that was it. And, um, I, I think it, it mattered more because it, it, there was just so little of it, you know, now, I mean, it's just hard to get amped up for, you know, whatever I'm a, I'm a baseball gypsy at this point you know I love the game I don't have a team you know I I just I look for just matchups that I want to watch uh the Mets lost me uh but even before they the Cohen came in um but you know I I think that you know the thing is they're trying to create a more I guess, I guess just a more uh palatable product for the nation because uh, you know we know baseball ratings are you know can be great inside the city you know the 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 area the regional area but not necessarily good nationally um you know i i think it's great that the the mets have an owner now who seems like he's going to make the financial investments because to say that they're not competing with the yankees is crazy they are even for, even if it's not on the field you're competing because it's the biggest city in the country you know you're you're the clearly the 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 david to the goliath mets are the uh, so number they, one payroll in major you know, league and, and they have right to now. And, and they and they have to and we see this out on the west coast where you know the giants are still under the shadow of the dodgers uh you know the padres are trying to 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 make their way into the you know this is this is something that's and been people going on forget forever. that anaheim that the angels are even in california yeah and and you know so i I think there's great storylines. It's just, I don't know. It feels a little convoluted. I miss, you know, the way it used to be. But again, like I said, I'm probably not the right, the right uh, target audience, if you will. The, uh, you know, I'm grumpy old stick in the mud. One of the Mets own is leaving to call angels games. Wayne Randazzo is going to be heading to Los Angeles and be the new voice of the angels. 
I mean, that's insane. The, the, the rumor. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not a thousand percent sure. Um, because I heard rumors it was L.A. Then I heard rumors he might be going to St. Louis. We have no idea, but he isn't gonna He's be in the Mets. booth. He is leaving the Mets. So, uh, Wayne Randazzo, another good friend of downtown sports. He's been a friend of ours since the college show days. Oh God, Matt, you remember the college show days? Um, I do. I do. He, <laughs> that 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 amount of insanity. <laughs> Um, Wayne has been a friend of us since then, so that's how you know he's a real, real friend. Um, you know, he'll we'll have him on to discuss that change, but that's a, also Wayne Randazzo, another piece of history in WFAN. And I just since uh, we've been doing this for about an hour and a half, so I think we're going to have to start to wrap it up. But before we go. I just want to reintroduce everybody that has uh, taken the time to come on. First off, uh, he is the producer of Tiki and Tierney. He also hosts Silver Nights. It's Peter Hoffman, Matt O'Boyle, the host of the Mighty Sports Express podcast and former host of the New Yorker Sports Rant, which I believe was WFAN's first real podcast. Mike McCann, update anchor for WFAN for a very long time. Just 17 recently years. retired. 17 years. 17 I didn't years. want to say 20 because I didn't want to insult you. But <laughs> se- but 17 years update anchor on the fan. Just retired. And Ian Eagle, he is the voice of everything. He is the voice of every spot. I-, I swear, if there was a competitive uh, mud wrestling that actually got big, Ian Eagle might be calling it. Because he I, calls just about every sport. I, I heard he was the in line to be the head uh, voice for pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> I have been asked, Matt, now that you mention it. You actually have been asked about pickleball. I have been asked uh, more than once. And mud wrestling oh, wow. as well. It doesn't matter. Really? Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. I saw it. Did you see stripes? Uh, I could do mud oh, wrestling. Oh, John easily. Candy. Woo! God bless him. <laughs> and by the way, before we go, we you know Mike did bring it up earlier. We should uh, each give a prediction for 2023. Yes. Yeah, we should. That was an excellent call on Mike's part. Agreed, agreed. So, uh, Mr. McCann, you brought up the idea. Why don't you go first? All right. Prediction for 2023. Yankees and Astros again in the ALCS. I won't Mm -hmm. predict a winner, but I will say this. The Yankees, this time, will have home field advantage. The rules changes, the roster changes, will help the Yankees more than help the Astros. And who knows what Game 7 ALCS will mean. But it'll be in the Bronx. Matty O'Boyle. All right. I'll make uh, I'll make two because one won't really even matter much to this podcast. But uh, my Georgia Bulldogs, under the leadership of Stetson Bennett IV, the mailman, will win their second straight national championship. And uh, on a New York level, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to, I'll probably be wrong. Jets and Giants both make the playoffs in 2023. Okay. I believe that leaves Mr. Hoffman next. Well, I just, uh, I've missed a little bit of it. So it's driving. So I've missed some, some of the comments, but if we're talking about, um, we're talking about predictions for 2023. Oh, predictions. Easy. Mets going to win the World Series. <laughs> Everything goes as planned. If the pieces line up the way they are, 
I think this Met team now is more dangerous than the Met team we saw this past season. Oh, Adding Verlander now, made this Met team a lot more dangerous. And more. now, Beast, uh, why, yeah. why don't you give your two prediction? Your yeah, your sure. one or two predictions for twenty twenty three. Okay, twenty twenty three. Let's see. The Jets will finally get the missing piece that's eluded this team since nineteen sixty nine. Oh, so they're getting the, they're going to get the Sorcerer's Stone. They're gonna. We're finally gonna learn the Jet quarterback, who it's really going to be. And I can tell you, it's not Zach Wilson. Um, and obviously, we'll, we're gonna let Mister Ryan Eagle give the last predictions. But they said predictions for twenty twenty three, and I've got two. Prediction number one. The Nets are in the NBA Finals. That's prediction number one. Prediction number two. One of the teams that they beat along the way, I'd say in the conference semifinals, are the New York Knicks. And prediction number three. Neither Daniel Jones nor Zach Wilson will be the starting quarterback in game one of the 2023-2024 NFL season for either the Giants or the Jets. Those are my three. Um, And to close it all off, we uh, take it to the Birdman. What do you think? Oh, gosh, the pressure of the final predictions. I think Brendan Frazier wins the Oscar for the Whale. Very moving performance. Nice, nice. Excellent. And uh, second prediction, I believe I will be asked to be a guest once again on Downtown Sports in 2023. That's it. He's already he, he's already won. He's already You're won. always here, Ryan. You're always welcome. Everyone, <laughs> you're always welcome back here on Downtown Sports every time, any place, anywhere. As well as the rest of you guys. We loved having all of you on. So uh, thank you, guys. Off, Always a pleasure, Ryan. Always a Appreciate pleasure. It. Thanks. Thank you, brother. Off a Thank pleasure. You guys. Matt, always so, a pleasure. Merry, uh, happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas to everybody as well. Like Kwanzaa or Festivus, whatever cool. holiday you uh, observe. Happy, Had a lot of problems with you people. There'll <laughs> <laughs> be no problems. We're, you know we'll what? Listen, it. We'll, if we have to, we'll wrestle this out. <laughs> hey, look, Festivus That's doesn't... Challenge. Festivus <laughs> does not end until you pin the 300-pound mouth of the South, okay? <laughs> Good luck to all of you with that. So um, I want to thank uh, all of you guys. Let me just give you guys your proper dues once again. Peter Hoffman, producer, Tiki and Tierney on the fan, Matt O'Boyle, former host of the New Yorker Sports Rant with Greg Giannotti, and then with Anita Marks, uh, he had to watch me go through the WFAN Fantasy Phenom contest a bunch of times. Uh, Mr. Mike McCann, 17 years in the business doing updates for WFAN and really one of the, uh, I don't want to say one of the OGs of that station and then the real OG of that station and the guy who has really shown exactly what the pedigree of that radio station is 
the Birdman, Uncle Ian Eagle, calls uh, NFL for CBS, is the voice of the Nets on the Yes Network. He also calls NFL on Westwood One. He might be calling pickleball at some point if they uh, if they give him a good enough offer. Yeah, call me. NCAA basketball and soon to be the main voice in 2024. Wow. I want to thank all of you guys for coming on. We really appreciate it, and we hope you guys have a uh, good holiday season. Great 2023. We're going to have you all on again, and I want to thank all of you for taking the time. All the best, guys. Thank you, Ian. See you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Matt. A real pleasure. Nice guys, take care now. Thank you, Thanks Mike. for inviting me. We'll do this again. Always we definitely will, Mr. McCann. We got to do a one-on-one where we get a chance to really go into some of the stuff because, oh, Mr. McCann, I've seen you post some things on Facebook that I just don't agree with sometimes. But we didn't have the time to get to it. It's a nice holiday. Uh, no, I, 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 I will. I'll put it this way: I, I temper, I temper what I say on a on a public venue like this, as opposed to um, being more of of the fan than I am uh, on Facebook, where I'm talking to a circle of friends. Um, you know what? That's the truth, though. That's a professional right there, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. Yep. Amen. That microphone is live, and you. Here's the difference. <laughs> if I put up a, a post on Facebook that praises or criticizes something, and maybe in five minutes I said, "Geez, I was a little heavy-handed with it." I can go back and delete it. You can't delete what you say on the radio. I don't know if I no, understood whether or not, but you know, he's had the experience of doing talk shows. I was just the update guy. Although before then I was a, a disc jockey, which is a, a comparable job. And you all I'll say is that work again, you that, that microphone is live and this is this is not TV. There's a uh I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie My Favorite Year. It's a great comedy that was produced by Mel Brooks back in the uh, uh in the eighties. Long story short, radio and TV in the fifties and sixties was live. You can't take it back. Say something inopportune as we've seen, unfortunately, with a, a former colleague of ours at the, at the fan, and you can't you can't stuff the genie back in the bottle. It's so true. There's always so a certain amount of, you for the rest caution of and, life. if you will, pre-editing, which is Mike. I, I got to ask you, just out of curiosity. So you you uh, were you at um, CBS 101? Is that what you were saying? Sure today? was. I, I spent uh, before coming to the fan. I spent uh, um, almost eight years doing weekends there. Yeah, I grew I I grew up in in I just remember being in the back of uh, my dad's car on any road trip and just 101, you know. Oh yeah. That was I mean, you know, I am um, of an age. I guess I was the oldest guy on the show. I'm of an age where I grew up with with great 1960s top 40 radio. That was 10 wins. Yeah. WMCA WABC. Yeah. Um but I had a, I wanted to ask real quick. Um so in the in the pantheon of uh, FM DJs. Who's you say? Dan Dan Ingram was number one of oh, top forty. Top forty and oldies. Yeah, Dan. Okay. Ingram was, oh, okay. Was, was a. I, I'm not a. My background, as I say, I come from the world of top forty. I was a, not a New York. I was never a top forty DJ here. The closest to it was uh, I spent eight years at the old WYNY when it was um, soft top forty or adult contemporary, if you will. Wow, that's going. Back. That was well, that the, was the 1980s before your time. Well, the, and the, uh, that's, the DJ, that was my first radio gig in New York. The DJ I remember most vividly was Cousin Brucey. Right. Well, Cousin yeah, Brucey was, was uh, 
I never worked with Bruce before before CBS. Bruce worked for uh, WABC in the 60s and 70s. Then he went to WNBC, and then he came to CBS FM in the early 80s. Yeah. And of course, was, he was part. I'm sorry? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, sorry. Yeah, no, but I, I first would work with Bruce when I joined CBS FM in 1998. Talk about uh, back in the day. Yeah. It and, did, did. Uh, the kick for me was I got to work with so many of my radio heroes from when I was a kid, working with Harry Harrison. Yep. Dan Daniel, who I'd worked with at YNY. Uh, Ingram, of course. Cousin Brucey. Uh, and then guys who were on the radio in the 80s when I was here. Bobby J. Yeah. has become a very good friend over the years. Um, Bob Shannon. What a, what a I remember, yeah. bright, bright guy. Funny guy. Music historian, as I was. And um, th- th- those were great days. I mean, my New York radio career was an absolute blessing. I had eight years at a station that for a couple of years was as hot as any FM in town. That was Y&Y. Left there to go help CBS launch an oldie station in St. Louis, which was very successful in its time. Came back a couple of years after returning. Joe invited me to join. Joe McCoy invited me to join the uh, crew at CBS FM. And then I moved from CBS FM when it went away to WFAN. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I checked all the boxes off. Yeah. We, we, uh, I was just in a conversation with uh, a couple of buddies of mine, um, I'm a huge, the Beatles are my favorite band of all time. And uh, obviously uh-huh. Dece- uh-huh. December, December 8th, they had the, you know, the, uh, my God, that anniversary, for yeah. 42nd anniversary of John Lennon's passing. And uh, rest in peace, rest in totally, peace. Totally forgot. I, I thought it was Scottso that was on air, but it was actually Carol Miller that was on air uh, when the announcement came in. And then, and then Dan Oak, uh, I mean, Dan Oak, Scottso came in. Uh, he just goes to show what a blur, uh, 42 years, my Lord, you know, good yeah, I mean, uh, I'm very good friends with Howard Hoffman, who these days is working behind the scenes at WOR. He was on WABC, I believe doing the overnight right after the news broke. Now, do the and... young bucks on the, on the show know who announced it to the world? Well, the, the you, you most and famous I announcement, of course, was Howard Cosell, Cosell because Monday we were all football. watching Monday Night Football. Yep. And it was, I yeah. think, with the, no, with I the Giants? Know. Yeah. Howard Cosell uh, announced it to the world. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, the Dolphins. That's where we, I, that is where we heard it. My wife yeah. and I were watching Monday Night Football. Um, yeah. I was off that night from Y&Y, so I was home watching the game and absolutely crushed. Yeah. And Who was it? Was it Dolphins? Um I, 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 I don't remember the Giants. game, but yeah, I, I, can't, I know I think, it was not a New York game. Yeah, I think the Dolphins were playing. I can't, I should know who who the other the team on the other side of the. Uh, the we got Beast looking that up at the moment. We got. I was going to say everything is I'm just, just, hoping, I'm just hoping that the that John's son that John's kids can carry on a legacy John Lennon left. It's hard, yeah. believe me. It's not. Well, listen, I'll tell you well, what. Hey, Jude uh, can sing. <laughs> let, let's John, be real. Jude Lennon can sing. John. And uh, Sean Julian and Julian Lennon. are both talented. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, that was uh, the 42nd anniversary, which is just crazy, because as a 48 year old, you would think that the Beatles wouldn't be my favorite band, but they still are my favorite band. So it looked like the Beatles are everybody's favorite band because it doesn't matter who your favorite band was. And by the way, this goes across all genres, hip hop, rock, dance. It doesn't matter. 
mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that you listen to today and that you like was influenced by four guys from Liverpool who didn't know how to play a guitar when they first started. Yep. I mean, what's amazing about the Beatles is they were, besides great talents on their own, they were great students. How many times in interviews over the years did the four of them talk about Chuck Berry, Carl Perkins, Buddy Holly? These guys learned from the generation that came before them. And that's where they picked up the appreciation for the rock pioneers and the original melodies. And listen to how many covers that the Beatles did of those songs by the Carl Perkins and, and Buddy Holly and, and Chuck Berry, because they knew that's that's the foundation. They took I it was, to the next level. I but, was just reading the other day uh, about Paul saying about how George got the gig was he knew the solo to 12 o'clock rock mm-hmm. from from Carl Perkins. He's like, that's it. Hire that kid. <laughs> like, yeah. He will never see exactly. another band. We will never see a group, any group like these guys again. It's hard. Now, let me let me tie this back into sports and let me tie this back into the end of this show because we do got to go. Our sponsors are DMB are going to be um, killing us for this, but we don't care. <laughs> the one thing I'm going to say, uh, the one thing I'm going to say is the whole entire idea of giving respect. That's what this was for today. Um, more than anything, uh, Beast and I, and I, I can't speak for John, but I could definitely speak for myself. A lot of the people that we had on today were influences of mine, people who I loved listening to, influences of uh, Jonathan Perriente, uh, Matt O'Boyle, sort of my mentor growing up, uh, starting off in this business. Uh, I've always listened to Mike McCann do updates, always listened to Ian Eagle, do um play by play and stuff like that and also when he was on the fan because i was that guy sitting in the back of my dad's car listening to mike and chris listening to steve summers listening to you know all the the great 90s lineup of wfan um i was that kid sitting in that car too and i feel like beast and i are sort of the evolution We're, we're trying to be that next generation so the biggest thing I wanted to do is because we are where sports come home here on downtown sports. I wanted to bring everybody into our house and have a good conversation about not just sports, but the history of this business. And I think uh, we've accomplished that. So Mr. Mike McCann, Mr. Matt O'Boyle, I want to thank you both for taking the time. Also want to thank everybody else that came on to the show. We're going to have to uh, say goodbye to you guys. But before we do all that beast, where can they hear us? You can listen to Downtown Sports on 23 different platforms. We are on Anchor. We're on Breaker. We're on Spotify. We're on Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Verbal, Castro.fm, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Audible, Podvine, Podacy, Odyssey, iHeartRadio, and Podchaser. Episodes, Rants, Digital, Market Battle, Specials. Every week, we are Downtown Sports, and we are where sports come home. I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. And we hope for the best as we go into 2023.
and it will be Festivus forever because I don't know who's going to wrestle me down to the ground. So that Festivus <laughs> pulls staying. Choke slammed me to the ground, I'll tell you that much. Well, I could. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, no, you I sold it. No, it, was, it was good. I had to really. It, it, I felt it. It was when I feel it. By the way, good. shout outs. To, by the way, if we're going to talk about selling things, shout outs to Catalyst Wrestling. Um, I just want to give all you guys uh, a shout out that that have helped the show so tremendously this year. Girl Friday was our producer for most of the year until she had to move on. I also want to thank Krista Large, our statistician, and our producer. I want to thank Tony Mainville, our researcher. I want to thank Nick Battle, the CEO of Digital Market Battles, only marketing agency that will fill your company's pipeline with high-valued leads. They'll meet your conversion goals, www.digitalmarketbattles.com. Get your discovery call done today. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. I want to thank all of you for sticking with us for almost 250 episodes over two and a half years. It's been a fun ride, but guess what? We're in a Tesla. That means we don't run out of gas. There's no stopping this car. This ride's only and we don't need charging stations either because we've got AA batteries in the trunk. So we're going to keep on going because we are downtown sports. We are where sports come home for the beast, for everybody that came on, for all of you that are listening. It's the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We're out. Thanks for listening. Bye.